0: You've got a plain, a smoked, a black pepper, a lemon, garlic and rosemary and a chilli. Garlic and rosemary is fantastic on lamb, roast potatoes. The beauty of rapeseed oil is it has half the saturated fat of olive oil, 10 times more omega-3, and a much higher burning point. So you do your roast potatoes in this. You get lovely, crispy bottoms, and the flavour doesn't soak into the potatoes. You just get that crispy, you know, I can see your face. Now, the lemon is fantastic. If you're making... um, tipsy drizzle cake, replace your margarine with the oil instant lemon drizzle cake or you can use it on your fish we actually mix uh, one of the other things that we do are vinegars, the black currant vinegar mixed with lemon oil is to die for and then you spritz that over your salads and then we have um, four salad dressings and then we have five sugar free mayonnaises.
1: Are these products all made with the rapeseed oil as well? Oh yes.
0: And then, we're also looking into these at the moment, which is the soap. You know, we've been going for 15 years now, and it's a question of trying to find the different products and add them in.
2: Welcome to the Science Behind Your Salad, brought to you by BASF. In this episode, we're drizzling, glugging, pouring and spritzing, it's all about a really versatile ingredient that's often overlooked in favour of its older, more famous cousin, olive oil. We're looking at rapeseed oil. We'll also be covering canola too. Canola is derived from rapeseed, a cultivar that has been bred to have low levels of erucic acid, making it especially good for human consumption and animal food. And as we'll discover, the crop and the oil that is produced from the crop are pretty amazing. It's around late spring that rapeseed comes into its own. The golden yellow fields can be seen across the UK and further afield. But let's take a closer look. Martin, our producer, paid a visit to Wharf Valley Farm in Yorkshire to see how the crop is
0: grown. We're right on the outskirts of Collingham. Uh, We've just come down a little lane To come to one of our rape fields and from here you can see a field of potatoes a large expanse of rape and also a field that's been set aside at the moment there are hills in front of us and the view can be quite spectacular on a sunny day we're surrounded by really high hedges so again we've got um, plenty of places for birds to nest etc and it's a beautiful place
1: And we're looking at a field of bright yellow, about waist-high flowers, and this is the oilseed rape.
0: That's correct. The flowers are just on the turn now, they're just starting to fade a little bit, and you can see that the seed pods are forming behind the flowers. And of course in those seed pods you've got what was traditionally called black gold, which are the actual oilseed rape seeds.
1: Which is incredible because if you look at it, I bet on a very windy day, when it's all waving around, it looks like golden waves. And then inside, the thing you want is also referred to as black gold as well because it's yeah so valuable.
0: Yeah, when, when it's really ripe, you can just about, when you shake it, you can hear it rattling. We're about a fortnight off that, but you can just see from here where the, the pods are starting mm. to form the seed and you can just see the outline Traditionally, we tend to swath the crop and then we harvest it 14 days later.
1: Explain what swath means so that uh, okay. our listeners know.
0: Well, as you can see, the crop grows to about uh, four foot, five foot high, mm. The way that we harvest it, we go through with a re- with a swather, which is a really sharp knife. It looks a bit like half of a combine harvester and it cuts the top half of the stalk off. So it, it cuts about four foot off, which leaves a foot of really strong stem. And then it just lies it over so that the, the actual crop will die naturally and it has air going over it and under it so that it it really does dry it nicely. And then that way it's okay, but you have 14 days of panic in case it's going to throw it down with rain, in which case the rain on the last sort of three days the rain will bounce on the pods, shatter them, and you can lose the seed.
1: So at the moment right at the top of the plant is the flower. Yeah and below that is is the pod which at the moment looks like a kind of like a French bean or a a very fine green bean and what happens
0: to that 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 turns black is that right? Only when it's dead the seed pods are always formed behind the flowers Mm -hmm. so you you can see on this stem here we've got seed pods down to about a foot off the ground so you know there is a lot there it takes three tonne of seed to make a thousand litres of oil. And the general harvest rate is between 1.1 and 1.6 tonnes of seed per acre. Basically what we're saying is it's three acres to produce a thousand litres.
1: And inside the pods, what do we have?
0: You have little black seeds. Okay. Look a bit like black peppercorns, only smaller.
1: Some of those are bulging, those, yes. some of those beans, and I yes. guess that's where they're growing.
0: Yes. And the, the only difficulty you have is that the top tends to get ripe before the bottom, sure. which is another reason why we swath, so that it, the whole crop dies and then you can harvest it. So when
1: it's ready to harvest, in how long from now?
0: End of July. Just depends on on the weather. The beauty of of rape is, unlike olive oil, olive oil has to be dealt with straight away. With the rape, we can keep it in the barn for a year and we just press it when we need it. So we have a two-year shelf life on on our oil and we can press it as requested so if we pressed it today it would be two years from today our expiry date yeah. and, and how do
1: you harvest it because obviously the 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 black gold the seeds yeah. are so tiny I'm guessing it's quite easy to lose them when, yes, when, the, when you come through with the combines or whatever but, how, but yeah. you just
0: put a different uh, riddle on it and it's fine and if we leave too much behind then we have a an evening of deep depression so that's how it grows. A few miles away,
2: the seeds are crushed and turned into the golden oil that is bottled on site by Sally-Ann and her team before it goes out to stores and to the farm shop. And I have a bottle here. It's a deep, golden colour and perfect for cooking and for salad dressings, as we've heard. Like all the crops we explore in the series, we want to explore the origins of the crop and discover how it's been domesticated. Rapeseed is part of the brassica family, so closely related to sprouts, cabbage, broccoli. In fact, the name rapeseed comes from the Latin word for turnip, rapum. Use of the oil can be traced back over 4,000 years to India, before being used as a lamp oil in northern Europe in the 13th century. Rapeseed oil contained a high concentration of erucic acid, which is a monosaturated omega-9 fatty acid. And the easiest way to describe that is It's not very good for you, apparently. And so the crop has been bred to reduce the levels of erucic acid. And so now it can be used for both human food and animal feed. Not only is it high in good fats, but it's also really high in protein. To dig a bit further into the story, I spoke to Jim Everson. Jim is president of the Canola Council for Canada, the trade association. The council represents the whole value chain in Canada. So all of the growers of canola and then the processors, the seed exporters, those who make equipment used on farm to process the crop, are all involved. In Canada, canola is a huge business, and so I wanted to find out how rapeseed has developed and emerged to become the success story that it has today.
3: You know, canola is an amazing crop and, you know, we look at it It's a Canadian invention. Uh, it was uh, developed through using just trad- traditional breeding practices out of rapeseed. So really the product grown in Europe and the product grown in Canada is is very similar, if not identical but we're proud of the fact that in Canada it was developed here. It's just been a fabulous development for Canada uh, coming from a very small crop in the 1990s to now our largest crop across uh, Western Canada. It's the most valuable crop to Canadian farmers. There are very few products you'll appreciate in Canada, developed in Canada where we're the leading exporters and, and, and you know dominate world trade and we do that with canola. It's also a good thing for the environment. Uh, when you are tilling crops, you're tilling land, you are generating emissions, carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere, and we're now retaining those carbon dioxide in the soils. The seed is extremely small, so that is a challenge from a harvesting point of view because um, the last thing you want to do is, is lose any of those seeds at the back of your combine onto the field. So combines have to be remarkably well calibrated to be sure that we gather all those, those very small seeds. And then those seeds t- are about 45% oil and 55% protein. So what, uh, what is derived then from the canola seed is oil that goes for human consumption, vegetable oil. And the other part of it, the 55% of it, is protein that can be used for animal feeds, animal meals. And so both byproducts are valuable in the marketplace. Compared to something like soybeans, where about 80% of the seed is protein and only about 20% is meal. So canola distinguishes itself largely as a product for oil as opposed to to the meal side. It's also a very healthy vegetable oil. It has only 7% saturated fat, which is the lowest saturated fat level of the common oils. It has no trans fats. It has really good omega-3 and omega-9 fats there that are the valuable fats that you desire. It's a very versatile oil. It's a light, neutral tasting oil. It can also be used for deep frying, for sautéing, for stir fry. Um, It's a remarkably versatile and healthy oil. And then, in in industrial application, it's also very valuable because it's long-lasting. In a a food manufacturing um, fryer, for example, it will last longer than competitive oils. 90% of what is grown in Canada is exported to global markets, and um, we see in this kind of a circumstance globally that we have a uh, an obligation, if you like, to be sure that we're uh, providing, uh, um, we're increasing our production to be able to provide more more food to the world. And, and, you know, vegetable oils are endemic throughout the food chain. You know, the canola is in many, many, many products on store shelves. So when it comes to a price issue, for example, it can impact a large number of grocery products. And uh, so, so we're very focused on 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 the research work and innovation required and farming practices that will allow us to improve our production levels.
2: Virtually all of the canola in Canada is grown in three western provinces, Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta, part of the North American Great Plains. The economic impact of the crop is significant, certainly in western Canada, where production takes place. But it's a national story too. The crop, once it's harvested, gets exported by being railed over to Vancouver or east to Thunder Bay to go to Europe. And so in each of these points, there's economic activity that's been created by the canola sector. Here's Jim again to explain the growing season.
3: So um, the canola is is sown in Canada in the spring. Uh, Our growing conditions are, are good for it in Western Canada because we have warm days, but also cool nights. Canola likes cool nights. Um, you know the farms in Western Canada are getting larger. They are seeded um, by uh, you know large cedars, um, and you know at the at the same time, fertilizer and other products are applied to the product, um, and then harvested generally in the September October uh, period, and. Um, there's, there's been an evolution of the technology, continues to be an evolution of the technology that goes into growing canola, um, the most recent of which is something called pod shatter, uh, technology that has allowed us now to, uh, instead of cutting the canola and letting it lie for a, t- a couple of weeks before harvesting it, now we do straight cutting with a combine through this technology. So it's, it's, uh, it's constantly improving.
2: But as we know, the crop isn't just grown in Canada and North America.
3: The
4: crop uh, today is grown primarily in the temperate climate zones of the northern hemisphere but also in australia so the, the major continents is, is of course north america canada canada um, a little bit in the united states uh, europe northern europe is spring oyster rape, and then central and eastern europe is winter oyster rape. And then, of course, uh, it's also grown in, in China. In fact, the name canola is, is limited, is, is only used for the North American oilseed uh, species. Uh, in Europe, we talk about uh, oilseed bread.
2: Bart Lambert is, in fact, one of the brains involved in developing the InVigor-Canola hybrid.
4: The major yield enhancement uh, did not happen in Canada. It basically happened in Ghent, Belgium, uh, where uh, Professor Mark from Montague, who is the inventor of genetic engineering of, of crop plants, he founded a company called Plant Genetic Systems. One of the first successes that happened at Plant Genetic Systems was the invention of a very robust and efficient uh, so-called molecular hybridization technology, which enabled for the first time in history to create canola hybrids in a technically feasible and cost efficient uh, way. Uh, And and so the, uh, the technology, we were a startup company, a small startup company. We didn't have a seed business. We are uh, to sell the technology to other established uh, oilseed rape companies, no one was interested, so we decided to uh, start up a breeding program in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, uh, and that resulted in a first hybrid uh, launch in 1996, basically 1997, so 25 years ago. And these hybrids, they out yielded conventional varieties in a very big way by 25%. And of course, this was a great success. And this was basically the start of the uh, InVigor uh, oilseed seed business. and, And I think the rest is history.
2: The InVigor hybrid has been a huge success story in North America, where the gene technology is able to be used extensively. I wanted to know just how important InVigor has been to the farmers in
4: Canada it is it is important farmers farmers really love it and 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 they plant it of course because it's um, it's uh, it's yeah, there's a big return on investment especially now in this uh, in this crisis that we're in 60% of the sunflower is produced in Russia and and Ukraine uh, of course that will there will be a gap now and and oilseed canola oil together with soybean can help to to bridge that gap
2: Just a few moments ago, Jim Everson mentioned something that was a bane of canola growers, pod shatter. InVigor has been able to significantly reduce this.
4: There was still one major productivity uh, issue and that is pod shattering. So what happens in North America, especially in Canada, uh, at the end of the season, these plants are are fully mature, and and the dried and brittle pots, the pots are the, the seed carrying fruits. These dry and brittle pots uh, easily break break open when when there are when there is thunderstorms and and, and strong winds. We estimate that, or there is estimates that uh, before we we introduced an, a solution for that, that approximately 18 million tons of seed was lost in Canada alone, so lost forever. Farmers manage that actually this problem by harvesting canola in two steps, uh, first, first swathing uh, and then involved by threshing. So what they do is about three weeks before full maturity, they, uh, they use a swathing machine to cut the crop plants, which are then uh, packed together, nicely packed together on the ground and left on the ground there to further mature. That's about three weeks before full maturity. And of course, by cutting the plant and putting them uh, in compact rows on the ground, this shields the plants to some extent or to a large extent from, from adverse weather conditions, right? The plants do not shake anymore and and the, the, the pots are, are still uh, carrying the seeds. And then of course, three weeks later, the farmers comes in uh, to to trash, to trash the crop. Now, to make a long story short, we, uh, we have uh, genetically modified a key gene that was involved in the tissue that connects the two valves together, the two valves that encapsulate the seed, right? Uh, and it's that that tissue, that tissue which is called the seam that dries up towards the end of the season. And of course, when it dries up and there is strong winds, mechanical forces, it's simply, the valves are separated and the seeds uh, are dropped. So what we did is we modified a gene that is involved in the formation of that tissue, in the formation of the seam to make it stronger. Right, but not too strong to still to still enable harvesting and threshing, right? But but stronger to make sure that the the valves the valves that encapsulate the seed uh, still hold together to protect against uh, against shattering. When we started this project, we we only thought about yield protection, right? Which we successfully did, but uh, the major benefits uh, only turned out when when the technology was was deployed, because you can imagine that. If the farmer notices that uh, the seeds do not, the pods do not shatter anymore, he can simply skip the swathing process and go for straight cutting. And that was really the major benefit, right?
2: A huge breakthrough. And because of the work by Bart and his team, farmers have been able to reduce a little of the stress they've traditionally experienced. A stress that is completely out of their hands because they cannot yet control the elements.
5: I'll come to the chase. One uh, farmer's wife said, you know what this means to me is, he comes home for dinner. It's given the growers the peace of mind that they don't have to rush out there and harvest 24 hours a day to prevent it from shattering open. It's so incredible that a technology can have the value of, he comes home for dinner you know, during harvest, Um, that is a revolution and that is priceless.
2: Garth Hodges is from BASF. He's the VP of the North American seed business. And whilst what he has just described sounds really simple, it's a big deal for farmers and their families. If they can provide them with that peace of mind, that can make the world of difference. But Invigor has not enabled canola to take off in Canada. It's allowed it to soar.
5: I have seen an 8 million acre crop, Um, I've seen that grown to 12 and of course now at 22, 23 million uh, acres. It's pretty phenomenal. All of the breeding that's gone into all this evolution and revolution that's gone into the crop has actually allowed it to grow on more and more and more acres. In other words, you know, even on on marginal acres, uh, it it, it performs very, very well. And then in the northern U.S., around the North Dakota, uh, Montana, there is, um, you know, roughly two, two and a half million acres uh, there. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just pretty phenomenal how, how it's grown. And and, and even now, the, the prospects for the future, the investment that's going into crush facilities, the investment that the fuel industry is making in uh, in renewable fuel and renewable energy, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable.
2: And how important is it as a crop to the North American economy?
5: 43,000 Canadian farmers grow canola. 200,000 jobs are linked to that canola. It has contributed hugely to the Canadian GDP. Just think of the commodity price. Who would have who would have imagined ever that we would we would exceed $1,000 a ton. It's inconceivable that there is this appreciation. And you know what, Jane, it's almost as if the consumer is saying thank you. The consumer is saying I really do appreciate what you have done. I think it's awesome. It's
2: like growing gold, isn't it?
5: It is. Uh, the flowers do resemble gold out there. You are quite right. And if you look at the oil, once it's been refined, crushed and refined, and you hold it up to the light uh, in the bottle, you're absolutely right. Uh, what a beautiful analogy. It is, it is gold in the hands uh, of, of our farmers, in the hands of Canada, and in the hands of you, the consumer.
2: And the farmers do love it too. Josh Lade is one of them. His vast fields in Saskatchewan ripple with the golden crop and he explained how Invigor has helped him.
6: Straight cutting of canola is, is something that's pretty new to the prairies. they really starting to take hold, say, in the last two to three to four years. And, you know, that's definitely where there's been a big advantage to our farm and many other farms is, is just having these hybrids that have great pot integrity. You know it's it's taken swathing or windrowing basically out of the question there's other advantages to swathing as well but it is a bit of a hassle you you know we often want to kind of let our crops mature on their own and go right to the bitter end because it's even proven on many trials around the place even on our own farm just the extra yield so that's always good i just love agriculture you know dirt just runs through my veins and and just knowing that we're part of an industry that is ever changing, it's just brilliant and it, it involves so many areas of production like obviously there's the the management of of Mother Earth and that's what where it all starts, but it's the involvement of technology it's the involvement of chemistry and seed companies it's just it's the full integration to produce food for for myself and for others and yeah it's I just love it.
2: Thankfully farmers like Josh are continuing to strive to provide food for the planet but it's a planet that has changed significantly in the last few years and this is truly sharpening the mind. Back in Yorkshire Sally Ann Kilby reflected on the challenges that farmers and growers not just of canola and rapeseed oil but of all crops face in the current climate. The volatile climate, the rising population, a global pandemic, and now war in Europe and a crisis of affordability for everything, from food to fuel. For some, this will be desperate.
0: Ukraine is really concentrating our minds on local homegrown products, etc., mm. and being self-reliant rather than reliant on, on different on different imports from different countries.
1: How's what's going on in terms of Ukraine and... Post pandemic world and things like climate change and growing population. Are you seeing the effects of all of these things at all or are they just still happening perhaps down the line?
0: I think this last year has been incredible. The changes that we've had to cope with so quickly have been frightening. And whilst I do think that the changes are happening, climate change we've all known about for many years. A lot of the other things are things that we know but as farmers we get up in the morning and our priority is getting that seed in the ground pressing that oil doing that we haven't got time to to think about what might happen in a year's time it's no good thinking about that until we've got a little section of time when we can think of it. I mean, having said that, for example, because of Ukraine, then everybody is seriously considering putting more seed in the ground to grow more oil. But what people don't realise is that if we put more seed in the ground this August, it's another year yeah. before we get that yield. So the yield that we are going to get this year July, August, was planted last year before the war. And so this is why the situation isn't really going to improve for another year. And then of course, you've got the the situation where fertilizer, for example, uh, has gone up from 300 pounds a tonne to 1,000 pounds a tonne. And again, we have to buy that fertilizer a year before we get the return. Are the banks going to support the extra spending that we are going to have to do just to get that crop on the table? Or are the farmers going to say, well, we, we won't buy quite as much fertilizer this year because we can't afford it, which will mean that the yield will be down next year.
2: Farmers walk a fine line, producing enough food, but not too much, balancing the books when the cost of inputs is rising, plus packaging and transport costs are also increasing. And we are entering uncharted territory, an unimaginable war in Europe, in part of the globe where crop production is vital to the economy and really helps to feed the world in terms of the volume that's produced. Ukraine is a major exporter of wheat, barley, sunflower and maize. Its soils are fertile and productive, but the war has meant that As you would expect, planting and harvesting has been severely affected. Fertiliser is in short supply and there's virtually no fuel. Roughly a third of the land traditionally cultivated with maize and sunflower will lie unsown. Plus a third of last year's crop could be lost as well. All of this has helped to push cereal prices up globally to a new all-time high and prospects right now don't look any better. And so, in the next episode, we'll be exploring food security and how we can keep mouths fed in light of a perfect storm that has suddenly become a reality. Thank you for listening to The Science Behind Your Salad. I hope you've enjoyed our delve into the world of canola and rapeseed oil. I'm Jane Craigie, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening.